Welcome to Kevin JJ's Movie Mania Podcast, where Kevin and JJ discuss everything and anything they can about the movies they love and sometimes about the movies they hate. To start things off with our first episode, we're going to have our Deserted Island segment. In this segment, a year will be selected at random, and then JJ and I will each pick a movie from that year that we would take with us to a deserted island if we had to choose only one. Alright, so here we go. We're going to start off with our first Desert Island movie choice. I have the random number generator set from 1980 to 2013. Basically to make sure we have a movie that we can definitely talk about at length for our first one. Sure. Alright, so let's see what year we got. (laughs) And it comes up with 1986. Oh, boy. So I'll let J.J. start off (laughs) with his movie first from 1986. Okay. Um, It was a pretty good year. Uh, Upon looking over my list here, I actually think that if I were stranded on a desert island and I wanted one movie to encapsulate, you know, 1986, I think I would actually bring with me Hannah and her sisters. Oh, wow. By uh, Woody Allen, yeah. There's something very lovely and real about Hannah. She gives me a very deep feeling of being part of something. Did you ever read this one? Lee, 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 I'm in love with you. You you mentioned to me yourself that you and Elliot were having some problems. You were having problems, and problems that are my business, which I don't see how you could know about in such detail. It's a good thing we had a talented daughter. I can only hope that she was mine. With you as her mother, her father could be anybody in actor's equity. Two months ago, you thought you had a malignant melanoma. Naturally, I, I, you know, I had the sudden appearance of a black spot on my back. It was on your shirt. It was definitely in my top five of the year. It was not my favorite, or not what I thought was the best film of the year. But um, something about it, I... I've seen it probably five to ten times. I find it to be very, like, has, like, a high rewatchability factor to it. Definitely. I think, I think it's funny. I find the characters quirky and yet relatable. Um, it's one of my favorite things that Michael Caine ever did. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, that year he won the Oscar for supporting actor for Hannah and her sisters. and Best famous- story ever. He right, and then he famously was not there the night of the Oscars to collect his Oscar because he was off filming <laughs> Jaws Four, Jaws: The Revenge, which of course was a colossal misfire. It's so funny uh, how you know the height of his career was quickly followed by the bottom. Right, exactly. That's like, yeah, that is like the the best example to use for that. <laughs> Um, I, I just think that Woody Allen is just, he's just firing on all cylinders with this one. Um, I think it's funny. I think it's dramatic. Uh, like I said, I, I've seen it a handful of times. Every time I like it more and more. I love Mia Farrow in it. I love Diane Weist. Um, and of course... Max von Sydow. Max von Sydow. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Who is like, you know, 
ancient, and yet this was filmed, what, 28, 29 years ago, and yes. he's, he's still a little more ancient now. He looked like he was 80 years old in The Exorcist. <laughs> oh, that was 41 years ago. Yeah, and he, he still looks the same, so I don't know if that's good or weird. And, he, and he's like, it's not even like he's like 96 or 97 or 98 like, like Kirk Douglas, who's still alive. He's like 83 or 84. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. So it would probably be that one, just because I feel like it has a little bit of everything. I love the performances. I love the humor. I love... That's also a film that was kind of... It was filmed... It's not a period piece. It's contemporary. And yet, you get such a great feel of New York in the oh, mid-80s. Yeah. In the mid-80s when you watch that. The, the very simple art direction of the apartments and, you know, the, the kind of high-scale apartments and just you know the city streets I, I just love watching it too well of all of you know woody allen's best you know quote unquote quote unquote new york movies you know like annie hall and of course Hatton, they all have some sort of like dreamlike or more fictionalized basis to the narrative but with yeah. hannah's sisters it's much more grounded in reality than definitely definitely and yeah, I mean, it was a close call between, for me, between Hannah and her sisters and um, actually Labyrinth, which was a childhood favorite of mine. But um, when I see Labyrinth nowadays, I, I still enjoy it through the kind of prism of thinking about how much I loved it as a kid. I, I, you know, I wouldn't want to necessarily bring it with me to a desert island now, but um, that probably would have been my uh, second place. But yeah, even though it wasn't my... my uh, favorite of the year i definitely would take hannah and sisters okay well uh, what about you well that was a perfect transition because the movie i would bring with me to a desert island is actually labyrinth I mean, I look at this list. I mean, I for a Desert Island movie, it always comes down to rewatchability, nostalgia. That has a lot of weight for me. It's funny you said that just really quick because I was actually trying to think of what my criteria would be for picking these, you know, movies, and I wrote down rewatchability, nostalgia, and heft. Right, and when I look at the list of 1986 movies, I think of like. Lucas and Legend and Three Amigos and mm -hmm. Little Shop of Horrors, all these movies I grew up on and watched over and over and over and over. But I had to pick Labyrinth, and I also saw this again recently, and there's just 
so much enthusiasm behind this movie. Yep. Um, you know, obviously it has the Henson aspect of it. Um, you know, I don't. I think you know this. It was written by one of the Monty Python members. No, I did not know that. Yeah, Terry Jones okay. actually wrote it. So it has that kind of subversive British humor in it here and there. Usually has to do with how goblins act and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's so beautiful to look at, yet so <laughs> simple using the Henson Creature Shop. Yeah. Um, the music is great. Ugh, great. David Bowie's presence, it's so <laughs> absurd and so over the top, but that's why it's fun. Totally. So, I mean, I completely agree with you with Hatter and her sisters how great that movie is, but I think I would get bored with it, and I don't think I'll ever get bored with um, Labyrinth. Well, you know what? Hopefully if we were on two different, you know, Desert islands that are <laughs> relatively close to in proximity. We would just swim across the uh, pond, so to speak, and you know, switch movies out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think I'd have to have to say Labyrinth because yeah. um, you know, since I was six years old, I actually saw Labyrinth in the movie theater in oh. Iceland, <laughs> and it just ever since then I never stop watching it and I never get tired of it I always laugh at the parts you're supposed to laugh at <laughs> I think the sweet parts are still sweet I think the scary parts are still scary so if I've been watching it for you know almost 30 years and I still get enjoyment out of it I sure. think th- I think that's the one that would uh, qualify yeah yeah so Labyrinth, like I said, it was my second choice, you know, viewed through the prism of a child. I think it's just such an amazing movie. However, like you said, I also did rewatch it recently, and I think that why it appeals even now to us as adults is that as a kid, you kind of put yourself in Jennifer Connelly's place. And, you know, given the responsibility of watching your little baby sibling who you know maybe you can't stand or maybe you don't want to or you know you want to be off playing or something and then that they get to go out for a night and you're this teenager given this responsibility and then how it just transforms into the dream you know which which eventually becomes the rest of the plot i just think it's so ingenious how they did that no i agree it it really taps into that teenage angst like I want to do what I want to do but I have this responsibility and I can't you know shrug it off right even if that responsibility is traipsing through an imaginary magic labyrinth exactly and you mentioned before the the puppetry work and how beautiful it all looks and it's true you know I think that the 80s were was an exceptional time for using practical, like, non-CGI you know, CGI special effects, using puppets, using, you know, exaggerated sets. Exactly. And Everything in that movie is actually there to see, touch, and feel. Oh, and you, you just know? completely feel like you're there. You completely feel like that place truly exists. And it's, like you said, it's just magical. Right. And I think the, um, the Huggle animatronic is incredible. Yeah. Like, even today, you look at it, it's 
as believable, if not more believable, than things like Gollum. Yeah, in a way. Because it's actually there. It may be a little bit clunky, and Mm. but it's a real person with real moving parts and things like that. And that's just it. It really opens up your imagination that much more. Sure, sure, and. And of course, one of the other things I think of when I think of Labyrinth is the Bog of Eternal Stench. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, like I said, when I saw this when I was six years old um, in the theater, that's what we got out of the movie. Was sure. The fart sounds every time they <laughs> stepped on a rock. As six-year-olds, that was the greatest thing ever, therefore greatest movie ever. Yeah. Obviously, well, now... You know, I see a lot more benefits to this movie than fart sounds, but Mm -hmm. it was a big impact when you were six. And again, I feel like this is the way with the 1980s. Filmmakers found a way in the 1980s with, like, Gremlins and Goonies and Labyrinth and Dark Crystal to to make fantasy children's movies, to make them dark and strange and weird and yet and yet and yet have room for the bog of eternal stench with fart noises and in today's day and age you just would never find movies like the ones i just mentioned never never i mean back then they appreciated that scaring a kid is part of the experience totally you know and that's how they appreciate instead of like all these you know bubble gum and rainbows and everything <laughs> turns out all right all the time right. you know that can be you know patronizing even to a kid they'd be a lot you know they uh, might yeah. not appreciate it as much and even if everything tied up with a bow with the unicorns and rainbows in the end there was a perilous journey right exactly to get there I mean, you mentioned the never-ending story, absolutely. I mean, you know, some of the saddest, scariest stuff, even today, of any any movie that I love, a lot of those scenes come from never-ending story. Yep. So, you're right. It was back then they had the courage to do that with kids' movies. Yep. Well... I would say that you picked a good one. You nearly convinced me to change mine to Labyrinth, but <laughs> I'm going to stick with Hannah and her sister. No, I'm, I'm right just there for with variety, you. Just for variety, and uh, I know it's one I could probably always pop in and sit down and just relax and completely enjoy. Excellent. All right, so uh, next time we'll see what other year pops up. Thanks for listening. I apologize for how I sounded a little strokey during that recording. I've since figured out the inputs and outputs and volumes for uh, volume recording, so that'll be fixed in the next podcasts that we do. And that's it. Next time, we'll tackle our first on-the-spot top five list. JJ's going to go first with the list that he chose and that he had time to prepare, and I'm just going to be winging it, so we'll see how that goes. Thanks for listening.